welcome to Minute 54 of Season 3 of Movie Rob Minutes, the daily podcast where we yippee our way through the 1988 Bruce Willis action movie Die Hard, one minute at a time. Once again, we on this lovely Thursday, we are still in Boston. We're, you know, we're being hosted very graciously by uh, by Sean German. So thank you once again for, for hosting the show this week in your, in your house. Oh, yeah, you're, you're quite welcome. For letting and, uh, me stay here. Thank yes. you for hosting me on your on your podcast. Well, you know, it's give or take. Give yeah. and take. Give and take. <laughs> Not give or take. Give and take. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just make sure that when, when you drive, you, you don't drive in circles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Um, so, episode 54 begins with John pushing open the blood spider door and ends with Al... Uh, starting to strut towards the front door. So basically, yesterday's minute ended with with John coming out of the air duct, walking through the boardroom, seeing the door that we early we previously saw Takagi's uh, uh, in inside the inside of Takagi's head mm-hmm. yeah. uh, splatter against it. But this is to remind us. I I love visual cues in this movie. You know, this is what reminds us that we're in the same place. Mm-hmm. If they didn't have the blood on there, I don't think most people, uh, even doing this minute by minute, would would realize that we're in the same room. Yeah, I mean, it could be another conference room. It's just, exactly. you know, similar kind of decor. You wouldn't necessarily know, but... Yeah, yeah so I, I like the, 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 the little hints here. You know, saying, okay, you know what? This is the same room. You know, we, we, we never see Takagi's body again. So that, uh, you know... <laughs> They, they, they at least dispose of the body, but they leave little subtle hints as to where we were before. So John then walks into the room. Uh, once again, we get to see that he's a lefty. You know, another reminder that he's a lefty because he's holding a gun with his left hand. Mm-hmm. You know, he does it very smartly because his his uh, gun is in the his outstretched arm going into the room. And then we get a slight pan of the room and we see the chair that Takagi was sitting is still on the floor and at the very head of the chair uh, pun intended mm-hmm. there is a <laughs> blood splatter on the carpet yeah uh, I don't think that's going to come out with a little bit of uh, seltzer yeah, I think <laughs> they're going to need a little bit more to, 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 to deal with that you know so they, they but but it, again it's a nice reminder to us of what happened here earlier and it's at the same time it's a reminder to John because John sees it and is like, okay, I know who I'm dealing with here. Right. I'm dealing with somebody who is not going to give me a second chance. You know, if he wants something, he's going to get it or he's going to do something, which which will come up later, you know, the whole scenes with Ellis and stuff like that. Th- this is another reminder for John who Hans is, even though he's never met him. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they do it really well. I like like the way that they uh, that, that they do that. And then John works works his way towards the the window, and he looks looks out, and we see the shot of him looking down and seeing the police car enter the plaza, which is is great the way that they they, they show it. Yesterday we were talking about the fact that there was a shot of one of the terrorists looking also, and you can clearly see that that John is higher up mm-hmm. than the the terrorist was from that the viewpoint. You know, and, and back in 1987, 88, when they filmed this, you know, they, they weren't using uh, drones to take shots like this. So they, it's it's a right. nice crane shot 
I'm assuming it's a crane shot. I don't think they... Well, you think it's a crane shot or do they have a guy hanging out of the window? <laughs> which which do you think I, I would guess a crane shot. <laughs> yeah, but it's interesting that within in subsequent minutes, they have two crane shots that are different distances mm-hmm. to let us see... You know the, the the difference of the perspective, the bird's eye view of of each of them. Right. So I think yeah. they they do that very well. Yeah. Well, we get the a contrast here, not not in crane shots, but so there's the the shot that I'm presuming is is uh, supposed to be McLean's perspective, but we also see what Al Powell is seeing. There's the kind of the view through the front windshield of right. the car as he's driving around. Correct. Now, one of the things also about uh, John is, first of all, I wouldn't guess that this is 30 feet up either. 30 floors up yeah. either. You know, every, everything's been truncated for, for the for the, for the the way that Jan de Bont needed mm-hmm. to, to do it. And John, you know, moves from window to window looking out, trying to see what's going on. You know, and then we see uh, Al walking, uh, Al driving around the plaza, you know, looking around, noticing nothing going on. He, then he quickly takes his. Uh, and before, uh, sorry, then John says that uh, it's about time, <laughs> which which is really interesting. I mean, he's just been chased right now by Carl and Franco and Fritz and whatever you know. So so th- we have this interim five seven minutes that he's been chased or whatever. You know, now he's saying it's about time. Meaning, how does he know that 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 the, this police car hasn't been? driving around for a little while. It just conveniently happens that when he walks over to the window, the police car shows up. Right, right. Um, because he needed to buy more uh, Twinkies along the way or something like that. Yeah. You know, and uh, so we, at this point, the the music also changes a little bit. The, the music gives more of a holiday type of tone mm-hmm. to things. Uh, maybe try to... Uh, trip us up a little bit as to what's really going on here as to what's going to happen also you know talk about that and um it, 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 i would say that this is a very poor response time you know yeah. they got they got a 911 call let's say it was 10 minutes ago it might have even been a little bit longer than that mm-hmm. in in movie time yeah i don't know how much time really they didn't believe it which again, we—I mean—we discussed this, uh, you know, two weeks ago. But you know that nowadays they wouldn't be able to ignore this type of call. If someone were to call up and say that there are hostages in a particular building, you know, get over here right now, I don't think they would laugh it off the way that the, these two, you know, nine one one dispatchers. Uh, <laughs> yeah, these are not 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 the best. Uh dispatchers there what i would think I, yeah so obviously no, they don't... again this is 1988 things are different you know they first of all they'd never seen die hard well, yeah. so they didn't know something like this could happen <laughs> never seen and die obviously hard. 9-11 didn't happen either yeah but after they hear the gunshots at the end of the call right. i would think when you, you you suddenly hear gunshots and then you're disconnected um yeah i would think they you know would step up the urgency yes. at that point which they don't they just say which oh we'll have, a, we'll have a black and white to do a drive-by yeah. and who did they send they send a desk jockey yeah. You know, they don't even send someone who's normally on patrol in the area. This is right. a guy on his way home. So it's it's uh, it's very interesting about that. Now, 911 calls. How many people do you think call 911 in America on a yearly basis? Too many, probably. Okay, that's probably true. Yeah. I, I have no idea. Okay. There are over 240 million people 
who call 911 on a yearly basis. Wow. Okay, now there, there's a whole system of how 911 works. You know, that the, the way that they prioritize each of the calls and things like that. Mm-hmm. The average wait time for a call to be responded to, what do you think it is? The national average. Yeah. Um, 30 seconds? I'm hoping it's quick. I'm hoping it's not a long wait time. 11 minutes. 11 minutes? <laughs> yes. So that's just waiting for, on the call. That's not till you know, help arrives. No, that's waiting until help arrives. Okay. That's waiting until help arrives. Oh, okay. I'm not talking about them answering the phone. You right. Know, it all depends on what's going on. I mean, it, it, it well, yeah. depends on how quickly you can you know, explain to them what it is that you need. But they, they then basically prioritize things mm-hmm. uh, according to four things. The priority of your emergency, whether it's high, low, or somewhere in the middle. The number of other high priority calls that they have at the same time. Okay. The number of police that are on duty in the area. Mm-hmm. And how many police officers you need to respond to this particular call. You know, depending on what the problem is. So sometimes you say, okay, I'm going to send one, one police car, or I'm going to send 10 police cars, you know, or I'm going to send everybody. You know, that, that, that you don't really know. And sometimes a police officer could be on his way to a lower level call or a lower priority call, and then they get a priority call and he's close enough, they're going to, you know, switch and send him to the priority call. Right. I mean, obviously, this is not a priority. In, in the <laughs> world of Die Hard, this, is, this was not a priority call, even though it should be. Right. right. You know, there's no question about that. You know, and the, it, the fact that it takes 11 minutes, that, that just amazes me. Because that's a very, very uh, slow response time yeah. for something that, that, that you really can need. You know, so, I mean, I found a website that actually tells people, you know, how to get them to respond quicker. Like, what type of things you should, you right, should certain, say. Certain keywords to use to exactly. press the urgency of the, the situation. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, uh, unfortunately, over, over the last few years, we've been dealing more with, uh, you know, with active shootings and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore... You know, if you give them the information as to the location of the active shooter, the number of shooters, the physical description, what weapons are being used, the number of potential victims, that will also um, decrease the response time. I mean, I, I think nowadays that they hear, you know, the words active shooter. I don't think, uh, you know, it's, it's send everybody. Yeah. You know, I don't think it's really something, uh, you know, that they're going to think. Okay, so what... U.S. City, do you think has the best uh, response time for 911 calls and which has the worst? I have a list here of 10 cities. You've got 10 cities, so the best yeah. and the so worst. Why don't, why don't we try and guess? Okay, first of all, okay, we'll, we'll start with number 10. Uh, so 13 minutes. Um, I'm thinking L.A., Los Angeles is, is going to be towards the bottom. Okay, well, 13 is actually Denver. Denver? Yeah, I guess it's the, 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 the thin air. I don't know. <laughs> 12 minutes is Detroit, 10 minutes is Houston, 9.5 minutes is Atlanta, 9.1 minutes is New York, Hmm. okay? Miami has an 8-minute response time, as does Dallas. Seattle has a 7-minute response time. So we have two left, okay? We have Hmm. one that is a 5.7-minute response time and one that is a 3.46 
response time. Wow. Well, so I was um, I was thinking like uh, my favorite for number one was Seattle. So that's off the table. I actually got that wrong. Um, so what cities why are left? Seattle, why, why would you think Seattle would be uh, so uh, high or low, depending on how you want to look at it? <laughs> yeah. You know, on the list. What, what, um, they they seem friendly. You, you know, the, the Pacific Northwest, they seem friendly. They seem responsive. Good customer service. Uh, okay. I mean, they're still number three. I wasn't too far off. But, yeah, for sure. Um, so let's see. So so the top two, kind of think of what city. So uh, Chicago's out there, uh, possible. Um Indianapolis, another city. Uh, Philadelphia. Yeah, see, I don't see. I don't think of Philadelphia as a very responsive city. Um, so top two. Um, when you didn't mention, I don't think you mentioned San Francisco. I don't know if they made. Oh, just to remind you, I, I mentioned Seattle, Dallas, Miami, New York, Atlanta, Houston, Detroit, and Denver. And Denver. So I would say... San Francisco number two, Chicago number one. All right. Well, Chicago, you got right. Okay. Chicago's number one with three point four six. Uh, San Francisco is not on this list, but you got the right state. I got the right state. Yes. Sacramento. No. San Diego. No. California. That's the. <laughs> no, California is the state. Okay. California is the state. Yes. Um. What city hasn't been mentioned? Well, you meant you said L.A. I didn't say L.A. You didn't say oh L.A. Is you said two. L.A. You said you said that you thought L.A. would have a really bad. Response. Yeah, L.A. is actually number two with five point seven. Oh, L.A. was actually number two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm surprised. <laughs> Good for that. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, I expected maybe I heard it in my head because I expected them right. to be towards the bottom. Right. Wow. Okay. Right. So then Al gives his. Uh, uh, report back. He says, uh, "No signs of disturbance." Dispatch. Yeah. And then we, we hear a response on on the radio. Eight L thirty. Roger. Possible crank call. Check the area again and confirm. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's great the way they say it, but it's just very funny that you know now they're telling him it's a possible crank call. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they should have told them this when they first sent him on it. You know, mm-hmm. like why are you waiting till you get there? And then uh, check the area again and confirm. Right. So, you know, how, how they, they don't go into more detail as to how you should check the area. You know, and then we, we get a shot of John looking from above. You know, we, we see that, that Al is just uh, riding in circles, you know, doing the figure eight <laughs> throughout the whole thing. Mm. Then we get a shot from above where John looks down and John sees the car do this and he goes... <laughs> Who's, Who's driving, driving this thing? Stevie Wonder? Stevie Wonder. Which, you think that that line would be, would be left in if the movie was made today? Or would it be seen as being offensive? I uh, I mean, it's a joke. I, I yeah, think it's, it's funny. A, I don't, I don't, I don't think, think it's offensive. I don't want to say it's someone going to be offended if you apply that Stevie Wonder maybe isn't the best driver. I, yeah. No, they're saying that, that someone could be offended that you're saying, is he blind? Yeah. I think that's the, the issue here. Yeah. I think it's more offensive to people that say that maybe Stevie Wonder isn't blind. And he's been kind of faking it as a, as a gimmick. That's, ah, okay. That's more offensive. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. That's probably true. So what, what, do you, what do you know about Stevie Wonder? <laughs> um, I know he's, he's a great musician. That's, and, he's, and he's blind. 
Although some people say he isn't. That's okay. that's about all I know okay. about Stevie Wonder. Do you know what year he was born? Do you know how old he is now? How old is he now? Well, I mean, he's been famous for a long time. He started off as, as little Stevie Wonder. I mean, he's been famous since he was a child. Um, I mean, I'm guessing he was born in the 40s. So he's, you know, probably, what, 80 now? No, he was born in 1950. Okay. So he's 72. 72. As of recording. All right. It's not too far off. Um, do you know how, why, or how he got blind? Um, no, I, I, I don't know. Was it, I guess he, so he wasn't born blind. Nope. Yeah, no, I, I don't know. No. Nope. So he, he was actually the third of five children and he was born six weeks premature, which, uh, once they put him in the incubator, it actually resulted in him getting uh, uh, retinop- retinopathy, retinopathy, retinopathy of prematurity. Okay, which yeah. uh, causes problems with the growth of the eyes, and they they stop they stop growing, and it causes the retinas to attach, and therefore he became blind. Uh, very shortly after after birth, right? How many Grammys do you think he's won? Is, would it be too many to say 30? I'm uh, guessing... Well, it's too many because he didn't win 30. He doesn't win 30. But he's very close. He won 25. That's, 25. That's okay, so 20. All right. Yeah. But, um, uh, he is one of only two artists who have won the Grammy for Album of the Year three times as the main credited art, artist. Okay? The only other person to do this is Frank Sinatra. Mm-hmm. So that that shows you what, what level Steve, Stevie Wonder is considered... If only he he and Frank Sinatra can say that they are the only two people who are able to do this type of feat, you know. And he is also the only artist who actually won it on three consecutive album releases. Sinatra didn't get three in a three didn't get three, three releases in a, row. in a row, but he still got the three releases. Yeah. So that that's also uh, pretty amazing, impressive. Yeah, he also has a lifetime achievement award from the Grammys. So. Yeah. He's he's much further along than most people uh, in his profession <laughs> with that number, uh, but not known for his driving. Uh, no, no, not at all. <laughs> but it, it it's a funny line. There's no question about that, right? And at this point, we we once again see that uh, Al, as he's driving, he sees Eddie, who's you know sitting at the uh, front desk. And therefore, he reports that. He goes, uh, I do see a guard inside. I'm going to go in for a closer look. So then the woman on the radio says to him, 8030, Roger, use caution. Use caution. Now they tell him that. <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah. You'd think they would have told him that in the first place. Right. Or, or, or it should be something that you should know that's an ABC. Right. You know, it doesn't matter where you're going, use caution. That comes with the badge, use caution. Well, exactly. and so, like, a minute ago, or less than a minute, you know, 20 seconds ago, this was a possible crank crank call. And now you're like, well, watch out for that guard, though. Exactly. Uh, Which, you know, he should watch. We know he should watch out for that guard. But as far as they know and the dispatcher know, this is the security guard for the building. And um, you shouldn't have to watch out for him or or use caution. Right. Now, you'd also think that that they would have told him that there was a report, not just the fact that it was a crank call, Mm -hmm. but there, there was a report of possible terrorists. 
You know, <laughs> it's not as if, you know, it's a crank call that someone ordered a pizza. You know, it's it's a, it's a crank call that someone said that the building's been taken over by terrorists. Right. Uh, I mean, that's something that would be much different these days. Yeah, if for you sure. just You mentioned terrorists, whereas, you know, in, in 1988, you know, terrorists was, uh, you know, something that happened overseas or, you know, someone hijacks a plane going to Cuba right. kind of thing. Uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of, you know, domestic terrorists hijacking buildings. Right. <laughs> Um, at, at that point. Right. Then we get another shot of Alexander uh, looking out the window. Yeah. And they try and fool us because a second later they show Hans. Mm-hmm. You know, the first shot is because Hans is holding his walkie-talkie, but the figure right beforehand is holding a gun. So it's Alexander who we saw yeah. earlier. Uh, was it yesterday? Yeah, I think we saw him yesterday. Yeah. And again, he does not look like he's 30 floors up. And you also, it, it's nice that we can see the the car that Theo and Carl showed up in is still sitting there in in the plaza, right right in front of the door. I mean, obviously they didn't move it, but I'm saying it's nice that in the shot we still see it. Yeah, yeah. You know, they didn't neglect the fact that that that's, that was there. Okay, then uh, we 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 see Eddie who who looks a little bit nervous. Because he doesn't know what's going on. He's a, a little confused about everything that's going on. Yeah. And then he gets a call from Hans. And Hans says, Eddie. Eddie. And he says, I had a feeling you'd be calling. And then uh, we go back and see John looking out the window. And Al then parks the car right next to Theo's car. And do you think that, that the way that he parks... Is like standard procedure because you know Theo uh, parked uh, parallel to the yeah. entrance, you know, in a uh, place where you would just park. Now, what Al did was Al actually <laughs> continues going into the plaza, you know, like where the lights are on the plaza. Right. You know, he moves a little further along. He inches he, closer to the, to the door than than you would think that he really needs to. Yeah, I mean, there, it doesn't look like there's, at least in this area, there's any curb. Maybe it's a cutout for people in wheelchairs or something, but he, he's on the sidewalk. Yeah, he's clearly exactly. a place where I don't think vehicles are supposed to go. No. Well, and also, if he needs to make a quick getaway, he has to pull out versus, you know, kind of the orientation where right. Theo's car is. You just, you're, you you just kind of, you know, gas and go. Um yeah, I don't think this is standard. No. <laughs> I don't think this is what they train you to do in the academy. Correct. Maybe he's just, uh, you know, wants to minimize his walking distance. Yeah. Now, he also, he gets out of the car and he didn't turn the car off. Because yeah. you see the the, the, the headlights are still yeah, on. Yeah, the lights are on. You know, so, uh, you know, he's... And then he starts playing around with the, the baton on the side. But we don't see him put the baton into, you know, his belt. We see him just like maneuvering it. So does that mean he was sitting in the car with the baton in there? What do you think? Because that would be really uncomfortable. Is that? Yeah, because it's already at his side when he gets out of the car as far as we can see. So yeah, it it appears that he is sitting sitting in the car with the baton at his side. You know, it's not all the way down but it's it's attached at his hip yeah that doesn't look very convenient no that does not look comfortable at all and it, it's funny because you know in most movies you see when a cop gets out of a car 
you see that they take the baton from somewhere else and put it yeah. in their belt, you know, as opposed to because everyone knows that it doesn't look comfortable. It probably is not comfortable to be driving that way. Yeah, I wonder if they like they did a few takes where he did that, where he'd like bring the baton out with him and then have to put it in, and then he was like. It just was an awkward movement for the actor to perform, and it just wasn't working. So they were like, let's try this. Let's just have it kind of already in, I don't know if you call it a holster, whatever, the holder. You know, it's already in the loop, and then you just push it through. Right. Do do you know any other names for it uh, instead of baton? Uh, Let's see. Baton. Bully stick. Is that one of them? Yeah, I don't know what else they call it. A a nightstick. A nightstick. There you go. And a trunk truncheon. 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 T R U N C H E O N. Nightstick. Yeah. Nightstick is probably the best uh, the, the, the best one to, to use here. Mm-hmm. You know, the best description of it. Okay. It's also known as a kosh, a billy stick, a billy club, a lathy, or just calling it a, a stick. You know, and it, it's something that, that has been used for many many years when when do you think the first recorded use of the term baton or or nightstick was used i'm guessing 1870s all right you're close 1848 well i had the right century yeah yeah yeah, no (laughs) that's still pretty good i don't don't know if i would have guessed that in the 1800s with that because it was during the victorian era that police in london started using them okay Okay, there are uh, many different types. You know, you have what, what's known as the straight stick. You have the side handle. Mm-hmm. You know, which looks like a uh, uh, what's it called the tunfa. You know, it's just it's uh, you know a stick where you have the handle on it. Yeah. Kind of okay. Yeah, I can picture. It right. You know that type of thing. And uh, so the, the the advantages of a side handle baton is there. There's a whole bunch of them, right? That there are much more uh, defensive techniques that you can use when you have the side handled baton as opposed to uh, you know straight baton. All right, it can be used as uh, in weapon retention because you can you know then take it and easily push someone's uh, hand away because you're, you're holding it on the side. Mm-hmm. Um, it also uh, makes it so that if you happens to drop on the ground, it won't roll away, because a straight baton could just roll away because it's you know it's uh, cylindrical mm-hmm. if it falls out onto the ground, right? And um, that one of the problems is is that that it's if you're holding it from the side, you're not going to be able to make as much of a powerful hit as you would by having the whole thing uh, in your hand, right? You know, so that's one of the disadvantages of it. So it's used more for, you know, defensive reasons than for offensive reasons. Now, nowadays, they, they, they use uh, expandable batons. You know, the ones where you can just, like, flip, flip with your with your wrist and they, they open up and, you know, there's something known as a collapsible baton, a, a telescopic baton, tactical baton, spring kosh, or, or just an extendable Okay, and uh, the biggest advantage there is is that uh, police officers can actually carry it, and they can sit in the car wearing it because they don't need okay. to do what <laughs> Al is doing here of trying to yeah. readjust it as he as he gets out. 
So maybe, maybe, you know, maybe Al Powell invented that. He's like, listen, I got this baton on my side. It's uncomfortable. I need something, you know, small that can extend. So in other words, someone saw Die Hard and said, you know, I got to think of some way that, that when, when Al Powell gets out of the, the car, yeah. he doesn't need to, to put it on. Hmm. Right. I think, oh, wait, why don't you do an expandable one? Yeah. A collapsible one. Do you think it's uh, legal or illegal to carry a nightstick? Obviously, for non-enforcement uh, uh, officers. What do you think? I would guess legal. I mean, if it's, you know, just kind of like the old-fashioned nightstick, it's just a piece of wood. It's like, you know, almost like carrying a baseball bat. I would I would think it would be legal most places. Right. So every every state has its own mm-hmm. uh, laws as to whether it's legal or illegal. Mm-hmm. For instance, Vermont and Arizona, they allow anyone to use it as long as you are not using it for unlawful or criminal behavior. Okay. Okay. And then you have things like California, which has a prohibition against the carrying of any type of club weapon by someone who is a non-law enforcement. And they've tried so many times to challenge it in the, the California laws, as opposed to saying this, uh, that it's unconstitutional, and they constantly fail whenever they try it. Right. But, uh, you know, someone who's a security guard or a bodyguard, they, they actually have to get a permit in order to, to legally carry a, hmm. uh, a club with them. And they have to do training courses and things like that. I, I think that that might be going a little too far. Permit required. Slightly. Slightly. You know, uh, who knows? And as he's walking towards the door, the minute ends. The minute ends. Do you have anything else you want to say about this minute? Uh, nope, that's that covers my notes on minute 54. All right, great. So the, the script has a, a few minor discrepancies. First of all, we don't have any of John's wisecracks. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we don't get the uh, Stevie Wonder comment at this point. Maybe we'll uh, we'll later. Who does? No, we don't. I'm just kidding. I'll, I'll let everyone know. We it, it doesn't even show up tomorrow. You know that I, I wonder if that was, you know, a Bruce Willis decision to add that that line in there. You know, because uh, I don't know. You, you think he would ad lib something like that? I don't know. Because also, he's not really looking down. They're, you know, McTiernan, when he filmed the scene, says, okay, you're looking out the window and you see a police car, right? you know, coming into the plaza. You know, so, you know, someone, someone had to, someone who's visualizing everything has to be the one yeah. who said, you know what, Bruce, why don't you say, or maybe he goes, oh, I get an idea. Why don't I just say he looks like Stevie Wonder? Yeah. Because, yeah, you know, he's not... You know, the, 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 they're not doing this kind of live in real time with the car driving as as Bruce Willis is saying the line. Right. No, so there would need to be some There's prompting on, on, okay, this is what you're seeing as you look out the window. Yeah. That's right. Hmm. So the, the, the script has some, some nice descriptions here. It says, the street is empty, quiet. A lone police black and white pulls out of the shadows of a side street and begins to slow cruise towards the Nakatomi building. Powell, driving alone, st- he stares up at the t- tower. It seems calm, its glowing lights matching the warmth of the holiday decorations on the street. Powell slows to a stop and scans the premises. In the lobby, we see Eddie sitting behind the desk. Powell reports to his radio. And then he has the... He tells about the guard and everything like that. And then they have a really interesting thing that, that just 
thrown out in the middle here. It says, Alexander pans the police car with his weapon, finger on the tri- trigger. This is clearly a man hungry for action. You know, so, you know, <laughs> yeah. the fact that we have a fraction of a second of, of a guy looking out the window, you know, the, the script says, okay, he's the one who's who wants to start causing uh, some issues and stuff like that. So uh, it's it's quite interesting the way that they do that. And they, they mention here that, uh, you know, at this point in the script, Carl Franco and Fritsch, uh Come, come onto the the come out of the elevator. You know, in a movie that doesn't happen until uh, later this week. Dale, one other thing is, is that after Eddie says to Hans, "I had a feeling you'd be calling," so then Hans says to him, "Let him in." Let him. Which, you know, they they, they let us assume that that's what he's telling him. Right. And then it says Eddie is a little startled, but he moves quickly. Mm-hmm. I mean, something I've mentioned numerous times, and I I, I love continuing to, to see it throughout the movie is Hans is the only one who knows the entire plan. Right. Even Carl, who is his right married man, doesn't know everything that's going to happen. You know, Eddie, who's sitting at the desk, or I don't know what level he is in the whole thing, but, but he also doesn't know what's going on. You know, this is all completely shock for, for, for everybody. You know, the way that, that, that Hans has this whole plan figured out. With, I mean, later on we'll see that Carl doesn't even know that, that the plan is partially, you know, the FBI will show up and the lights will have to go right. off and all that stuff. It's well, and, all... And, and Theo doesn't even know, That's you right. know, about that. He's just, you know, he's got the seven locks that he can do and then there's six. that last right. lock six, that he can't. Six the, in the seventh, right. The six that he can do and he doesn't know. And, and you know, yeah, Hans is just, I'm going to take care of it. So I can think of someone like Eddie probably knows very little if his, you know, if his part is just, you know, be the guard and kind of take care of anyone who shows up. Right. You know, kind of just look natural. You know, play the part of a security guard. Right. You think you think yeah. that 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 part of the the things that that Eddie is supposed to do is is that he tells him that he's supposed to, you know, try to get rid of someone verbally or gets rid of someone if they show up, uh, you know, in a more physical yeah. way. Probably get rid of you know people ver- you know verbally just convince them that that nothing's right. going on. Hmm. Um, now, so the you know the the plan is at some point to attract some attention, and so the you know the, the police arriving and later the FBI is not. Hans knows that, but yeah, no one else does. Yeah, That's Hans knows that, and but even even Hans didn't anticipate this soon, and, and I don't think he had, you know expected. No, of course not. He because he mentioned the inconvenient timing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I think at this point, yeah, the the, the uh, yeah at, at this point of the plan, it's you know anyone anyone unexpected shows up, you you get rid of them verbally if you if you can, right. and I guess right. You know, but then that's the question: Why is Eddie saying, uh, you know, I was expecting you to call? Meaning, if those are his orders, you know, he knows what he has to do if someone shows up, right? So like, what was and and also. He's expecting Hans to always be looking and seeing if someone's supposed to, is if someone is coming towards the door. Yeah, you know, I I think that Hans is a little bit more busy with other things going on than than you know, and he doesn't need to sit there and and wait to see if someone shows yeah. up. But but Eddie knows that Hans is is thorough. That it makes sense. That yes, Hans has got other things he should be doing other than watching out the window, but it's not a surprise that he happens to know that someone has arrived. Right. That's true. 
but yeah, that's a, that's a good point that Eddie should, they should have just, they, and they make sense that they should have, and they would have discussed previously, you know, someone unexpected shows up. Get what do you do? Them. You know, Eddie would ha- kind of have his order. You don't have to wait for me to tell you to get rid of them. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's just a, a little strange the way that they do it, but okay, it's yeah. fine. You know, it's, okay. uh, it's it's one of those things that you can easily uh, you know uh, look over, you know, right. and not uh, not really care about it. But the, the kind of things we pull out when we're watching a film one minute at a time. Exactly. That's 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 why we do it to, to find things like this. Mm-hmm. All right. So every Thursday we have a segment called Off the Beaten Track Holiday Edition, where my guest will give some sort of adventure or misadventure, something that happened to them over the course of their life uh, that could possibly be related to a holiday or somehow related to Die Hard. Either way. So you got another one for us, Sean? Yeah, so this is, I've got a little, uh, this one is a holiday-related story, um, and it involves uh, my wife, Kat, Catherine, of uh, of CatandShawn.org, where who, I have... Uh, who I just met. Who, and, yeah. You know, also just was, is, is a, being a very gracious host. Yeah. You know, I've been here four days. Hopefully, they're going to let me stay, stay <laughs> until it, tomorrow. Has it kicked either one of us out yet? So, knock on wood, so far, so good. Well, I hope you've been here more than four days. <laughs> yeah. Well, just one more. Oh. Um, well, you one more, me, hopefully many more. No. Okay. Um, but yeah, so this this is a story that involves my wife. So um, we're uh, so we're we're not particularly religious, but we do celebrate some holidays. Uh, Christmas being one of them. Um, so my my wife grew up in a in a Christian household, and they celebrated Christmas. Um, they also celebrated um, well Saint Nick's Eve. So uh, Saint Nicholas Day is. December 6th, if I remember correctly, and St. Nick's Eve is December 5th. And um, I don't know if this is a, a widespread tradition, but the tradition in their family is you'd get a, a small number of gifts, kind of like a you know stocking stuffer type things on, on St. Nick's Eve. And, uh, and, and you know one of the reasons for that tradition was while, while Santa Claus is a fictional character, uh, St. Nicholas it was an actual person. There is an actual St. Saint, Saint Nicholas. So, uh, you know, so they have, uh, they, they would add a tradition of, of giving gifts on, on St. Nick's Eve, uh, which is the night of December 5th. And it would always be a surprise. They would work it out. Um, usually it was, a, you know, a doorbell would ring. The whole family would, would be together and then there'd be a mysterious doorbell, uh, ringing. And then you'd go to the porch and there would be gifts, you know, for the children, for the family there. Um, and it went so far as when, uh, uh, when my in-laws, when my wife's parents uh, retired and, and moved down south, we're in the, the northeast U.S. or, you know, outside of Boston, as, as Rob alluded to. Um, well, they retired and they moved down south. Um, my wife and her siblings actually coordinated with my uh, in-laws' new neighbors to have them, you know, my wife or maybe her sister would send down a package of gifts to one of the neighbors and have the neighbors uh leave the gifts on the front porch of my in-laws and ring the doorbell and then run away. Um, you know, so, wow. yeah. So, so, you know, so then my in-laws, they would answer the, you know, hear the doorbell, answer the door and there'd be, you know, this, no one there, but just these gifts left on the porch, uh, you know, gifts from, from St. Nicholas. Um, how many years did it take them to figure out who it was coming from? I, I think they knew. Oh. <laughs> I, I, I think they knew, but it was, a, you know, a nice little thing to do. Yeah. For um, sure. So the way I have carried uh, forward our tradition is that's when we get our Christmas tree. So I will get, um, I will buy the Christmas tree and then I will leave it somewhere for my wife to discover on the evening of December 5th. Um, 
Now, my wife is one of the most intelligent people I've ever met. She is very smart um, and figures out many things, but she is not the best seeker. She is not the best looker and noticing, uh, you know, not the best at noticing detail. And sometimes I can be a little too clever in my hiding of the tree and trying to surprise her. Um, so, for example, uh, we used to live in an apartment. Uh, and we had an apartment and it was a, a small, um, had a, a small balcony. And we would step on and we'd try to, um, uh, we used to smoke, we'd smoke cigarettes. and But, you know, to try to keep the smoke down from inside the apartment, you know, step out onto the balcony. And this is maybe the size of a bathtub. I mean, there was not, this is not a huge balcony. This is literally just enough room to, to step out. So um, one day, so one year my thought was, well, I'll put the tree out on the balcony. And when she steps out for a cigarette, she'll see there's a tree there and that'll surprise her. And I mean, she knows it's me, but still it's a, it's a nice surprise. Um, so, and, and fortunately I, 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 I've, I've always worked on, I, I, uh, I work with computers. I'm a programmer. I always have white collar jobs. And fortunately, I've you know, always been close enough to home so I can kind of sneak home and sneak out, take a lunch break, you know, kind of sneak out at lunch, buy a tree, go home, set it up and then go back to work. Um, so I set up the tree. We go home. It's it's the evening. And my wife goes out for a cigarette and comes back in and doesn't say anything. And I'm like, I'm trying to play it cool because <laughs> I know there's a tree out there. And I'm like, well, is she, you know, is she pretending not to see it? And or, or, you know, she didn't notice it, but she goes out again, has another cigarette later on in the evening, comes back and she just does it. And finally, I'm just like, you know, oh, is there, I think I see something out there. I have to play it up, you know, kind of, oh, is there something out on the balcony? And then she's like, oh, there's a tree, like, and was not playing, was not trying to, you know, you know was, was not uh, trying to play me or play it cool or anything. Like she honestly didn't see it. Um, and, and we've had that happen again here. Now we, we've since, now we have a house, but we also have a, um, our house has a back porch and it, my wife still smokes and we do the same thing. There's no smoking inside the house. So she'll step outside and I've done the same thing where, well, let me set the tree up out of the, the porch. And then when she steps outside, oh, she'll be surprised. She'll see the tree. And it happened again where she would go outside and come back in and no reaction because she didn't see the tree. <laughs> so now I've taken it to where I'll set up the tree in the driveway. <laughs> in front of the garage so when she pulls in um you know she can't get her car into the garage without seeing the tree because if i try to be you know if i try to be clever and sneaky and try to you know put the tree someplace where she won't see it right away then she ends up not seeing it all so you know i i love my wife she's great um she puts up with me she puts up with my my, my podcasting um and again one of the, the most intelligent people i've ever met but um maybe not the most observant when it comes to detail. So I've learned if I want to surprise her, I have to do it in a really obvious way. And so, uh, yeah, I continue the, the tradition of uh, uh, picking up the Christmas tree for St. Nick's Eve, but I know, uh, I know I've got to put it someplace where she's definitely going to see it. <laughs> and this is a great point for us all to, for, for us to thank all of the spouses, yeah. you know, of <laughs> all of the, yeah. the minute by minute podcasts and regular podcasts, you know, that, that, that let all of us uh, do our crazy things uh, oh, yeah. for a few hours uh, at a time. Yeah, you know when when they they all think we could be doing something more productive. But, right. Oh, she, but well, we all think that there's nothing more productive. Yeah, she yeah. has been very very generous with my time for uh, for this crazy hobby, yes, especially letting me be here all week. That's uh, yeah, that's something too. All right, great. You want to once again tell people how they can get in touch with you. 
Uh, well, so once again, I am from uh, Next Scene Podcast. You can find us at nextscenepod.com. And once again, for uh, my guest appearances and my other podcast stuff is all at uh, the the the, uh, the titular site, Cat and Sean, C-A-T and Sean, S-E-A-N dot org. All right, great. And finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for a movie around minute. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter. And you can find me on my website. So, Sean, can, can I stay here one more night? Can I, I think we, I think I can get one more night. All right, sorry. Right. So I'll, 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 you know what? Why don't we record tomorrow really, really early, and uh, you know, I'll get out. I'll get out quick. There you go. Sounds we'll, like a plan. We'll do it nice and, and early and nice and quick. So until tomorrow, yippee ki yay! Yippee ki yay!